Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash, Series 1, Episode 19. And I'm very pleased to have with me today, Sini Glaster. Hi, welcome. Hi. So Sini, if you could be so kind as to give us a, an overview of what WeFIFO is, and then we'll go into the bit of background as to who you are. Sure. Um, I think you're right to um, benchmark it as Airbnb for the kitchen table. It's that with a huge amount of heart. It's an online platform for supper club hosts, uh, for dinner parties, for professional chefs. Uh, for anyone really that wants to serve food to paying guests. From a guest perspective, anyone can use the platform to find authentic home-cooked food near them. And the idea is for our hosts and chefs to use it to launch a business without the startup costs associated with a restaurant. Excellent. Thank you. And so there are many budding chefs out there. Uh, I must admit I'm not yeah. one myself, but my wife is. And uh, the opportunity to earn to help complement uh, another income certainly is very, very interesting. It, it sort of fits a move towards um, the gig economy, certainly. We've definitely tapped into that. Um, but also, it's quite fundamental. There are a vast amount of very, very talented home cooks, particularly, who have um, been merrily cooking away, improving their skills in an unpaid way for decades. And this gives them an opportunity to earn some money doing what they love flexibly from home. So the advantages to the chefs are huge, but it also serves the, you know, the professional chef who might not want the hassle or cost or anxiety that comes with bricks and mortar, particularly if they're, they're venturing into, into a restaurant for the very first time. I understand that there has been a movement as well with the likes of a, a Deliveroo and other delivery catering companies mm -hmm. where dark kitchens are becoming prevalent, where professional chefs are producing top grade foods with a view to yeah. selling and distributing via these, these applications. Uh, is, yeah. is there, are you heading that way as well or is it more you come to? No, I think, um, I think we're not. This is a two-sided marketplace. So we're looking at it. We're, we're looking at solving um, a problem for the chef, yes. But we're actually also looking at solving a problem for the guest. And from the guest perspective, you know, if you think that half of all meals eaten in the UK are eaten alone, that's, that's a problem I want to solve. I want people to come together over food. I want people, you know, we all like, we, we all could choose to eat alone from time to time. That's a great choice to make. But you don't want to have to eat alone all the time. And I want to give people an opportunity to join a table, join a conversation, share some food, um, and perhaps share some food cooked by somebody who's cooking it very authentically to family recipes that they just wouldn't be able to eat anywhere else. So it's definitely a two-sided marketplace, two-sided problem I'm trying to solve. Excellent. And, and so how, how does it work from a commercial standpoint then? Well, first of all, it is a meritocracy. We, anyone can join. 
and the success of the host is governed by their ratings and reviews. And that's really important to me. I didn't want to set up a business where I was going to be the judge of what is good food, because I think it can mean something very different to anybody you speak to. It can actually vary from day to day. Sometimes you want a bit of comfort food at the end of a long day at work. Sometimes you want fine full gastronomic experience. So I, I wanted there to be something for everyone, every mood, every price point, every demographic. And in order to do that, I needed to encourage as wide a range of chefs and enthusiastic, talented home cooks as possible. So the way I set the platform up was that anyone can join, but everyone begins as a novice. Um, and then their ratings and reviews, them the right to get promoted through the ranks from novice to home cook to home chef. And then we have a completely separate tier for our professionally qualified chefs. I certainly wouldn't want to undermine the years and years of qualification and cost that goes into training professionally. So I wanted to be able to offer um, a, a space for those pros as well. And we take a commission. So we actually, our commission is highest when our novice first starts. That's the time they get the most support from us. Uh, we pay for some online e-learning to make sure they're safe and secure and have all the, the requisite uh, food safety uh, certification that they need and give them any support they need uh, in setting their business up as well as plenty of um, obviously the marketing support and then as they get better as they build their audience as they build their ratings and reviews and their reputation we actually start to reduce the amount of commission we take from them because by then they, they have a market of their own and we want them really to, to retain as much as they're earning as they, they can. We want them to build successful businesses. And we already have um, many examples of people that are earning a, a, a really good living from, from running a restaurant from home. Could you just give us an example number of what a good living means monetary value wise? Just well, to... We've got a home cook, not professionally trained, who I think has earned £22,000 from her home-based business. Uh, bearing in mind this is completely flexible, uh, dictated by her, by the hours she wants to work, by the menu she wants to create, with no intervention from anyone else. She has full control um, and she's running it from her home. It's the classic opportunity where the more effort you make, the more you put into it, the more you gain. But that really is what I think people are looking for in the gig economy, an opportunity to shine as a result of their own effort and talent. Mm. I think it's a great way to earn some money whilst meeting new people as well. Yeah. And actually that works from both the host and guest perspective. A lot of our hosts get real pleasure from bringing people together, but also from meeting them. A lot of the time they're not able to sit at the table with their guests obviously they're busy in the kitchen or or plating up or bringing food <laughs> to the table but most will sit and uh, join in with their guests at the end of the evening and there's something really magical that happens there um, and of course many of our guests are making new connections that they weren't necessarily looking for uh, they might have been drawn by the food or the menu or the chef but essentially everyone's sitting at sharing tables they're going to meet some like-minded people drawn drawn by a common interest in in authentic cooking or or experiential dining or just not wanting to cook for yourself for once from a, a review standpoint the chef is obviously under scrutiny <laughs> uh, to a certain yes, yeah. quality of food but also the guest themselves are under scrutiny from the way that they yeah. they yeah. act and behave yeah. 
we've tried to put in those measures that people, I think people really understand them from platforms like um, Airbnb or from Uber, where it is, you're rated on both sides. The guests will rate the host, the host will rate guests. I think it helps with good manners. Um, I don't want to sound too glib about it, but if you know, <laughs> if you know uh, you're going to be rated, it just lifts, it just lifts everyone's um, expectations a little bit. Um, but we've also put it in fundamentally for, to make sure that the website can scale and run smoothly. So we wanted it, it to be as light a touch from us as possible. So the payout to the host is not triggered until the first review is received because that authenticates the event, proves to us it went ahead. So it's a little bit of a security measure in there, uh, but it also means our host actively encourage their guests to leave reviews. And I think it's a currency that people really respect these days. It's not TripAdvisor. You have to have been to the event to place a review. No one else can write a review about that specific event. You have to have booked on and attended. And the host gets an opportunity to say who did attend and who didn't in case of no-shows, which I have to say are very rare. And that just means that only the people invited are reviewing. So it keeps it all very above board and true to the intent, really, which if you read the reviews on the platform, the vast majority of guests are reviewing the whole experience as much as the food. You very rarely see criti criticism of food. No one's, you know, no one's trying to be the next food critic. It tends to be, wow, I had an amazing time. I met some great people. Uh, we were given such a warm welcome. We've never been to something like that, and and we were blown away. It's, it's much, much more a, a sort of review of of the whole atmosphere rather than a criticism of the, the food itself. It's interesting. It's going to raise the standards of food even further, I think. You, you I would really... hate to say, but, but perhaps in a way that really celebrates the food and the creator of the food. You know, you can go to the, the best restaurant in the world and you can pay an extraordinary amount of money for that food. But how much chef time do you actually get? You know, you can pay to sit at the chef's table. Um, but we have some of the, the top chefs in the country on our platform and you can go and sit in their homes and watch them cook. Uh, you can chat to them while they're cooking. And that is an experience, uh, well, you have to try it for yourself. It's hard to describe. You come away thinking, not only have I just eaten the most amazing food, but the whole, you know, I've learned something, I've shared something, and I feel like that chef is a, a friend now. And, um, and that's what happens when you get invited into somebody's home. It's a, it's, um, it's a much more intimate experience uh, than going into a restaurant. However convivial the restaurant atmosphere is, nothing quite beats being invited into somebody's home. I must try it. Thank you. And yes, you must. You yes. must. The current situation of the business, I understand that you've been overfunded on Crowdcube. Congratulations. That's pretty hot off the press. We, um, we finished funding uh, last night. Wow. Uh, so really, really pleased with the way it went and particularly pleased to see um, so many hosts getting involved uh, because that really was one of the motivations for us. We sort of want to build a platform that we can take our hosts with us and make sure that our success is their success. Mm. And uh, in terms of intentions to grow and scale, 
Yeah. Uh, you you yeah. have city by city across the UK, and then of course yeah. rural areas as well that may have a small uh, gathering of people who are inclined to do the same. Our rural areas are just as important to us as the big cities even now. The impact we can make on a market town or a rural area in terms of changing community is massive and relatively quick. You don't have to do that much to change to change a culture. Um, so that's really exciting to us. But we have obviously got our eye on a global play. Um, but we're very much UK focused for 2019, certainly. Mm. As with every entrepreneur, I'll be following you over the course of the next three to five years and see how you progress year on year. There are other organisations out there that are quite acquisitional in the same space. Yeah. Um, yeah. A company like Visit, as an example. Do you have a, a strategy for exiting at a particular time or is this something you're looking to to really go on your own and, and stand and really push the brand out? Well, obviously our investors all ask the same question. Everyone wants to know about exit, but there's no point focusing on exit until we've delivered the plan. So that is my focus. We want to scale rapidly. We want to own this space. Uh, we want to be a great company to work for. We want to be a great company to work with. And we have a very, very good plan to scale rapidly through the UK. What we've done, I think a little bit differently, is we've got some very strong corporate partnerships. So, for instance, one of our investors is uh, the John Lewis Partnership. And we are scaling up with supper clubs in Waitrose and John Lewis spaces throughout 2019. So we've, we've got a goal. It'll be interesting to put this on air with you now because you can come back and check it in a year's time to scale up to hosting regular supper clubs every month in 180 different Waitrose stores across the country. So that's one of the, the, the first things we'll be doing with this new funding is building the team to help us execute that plan really, really well. At the same time, obviously, is building our organic network of home cooks. So we've got a lot of work on our plate, actually, this year. It's, it's going to be very exciting. It sounds it's so it's amazing. And then, yes, you've given me a figure to look at as a benchmark now across <laughs> yeah, a absolutely. period of five years. So that's really cool. And I can see from a community standpoint, it's complimentary. So you've been fed by, you've had this amazing meal you've had a great evening, you've, you've met some new people, and then it may create an incentive for you to then return the favour in a way where you, yeah. would, you would host the people that fed you at some point. And I yes, I think a lot, of people, a lot of people need to see it in action to see whether they would have the confidence to do it. Hmm. Um, so there are plenty of curious potential hosts going out to supper clubs just to see what it feels like. We've tried to build a lot of safety into it. You know, the, the final address isn't given until the, the booking's been accepted by the host. The host can accept or decline any booking. We've tried to make those events at home as secure as possible without taking the, the sort of friendly, welcoming, you're coming to my house spirit of, of, of We By So away from it. But the corporate ones are really good way for people to try out the concept of a supper club before they try it out in the home and our experience this year certainly has has told us that once people go to one where whether it's in a waitrose or in a home they immediately want to go and try other 
chefs, other hosts, other experiences, and our guests are, are very, very good at spreading the word for us as well. They're um, quick to tell their friends. So, so that, that's been a really pleasing piece this year. Oh, that's great. So, so if I was a, a curious person looking to host a dinner, yeah. one of the questions I have for you is around licensing. So the, the alcohol mm-hmm. and food and beverage licensing that, that yeah. a lot of restaurants have to pay out, etc. Yeah. And the, the management of that, how, how is that being managed? Obviously, you can get a, a, a temporary license, but actually a temporary event license. But actually, what we encourage is as much bring your own as possible. I think bring your own really is in the spirit of much more in the spirit of a dinner party. It invites conversation. It invites discussion. It actually keeps the price of the meal down. I mean, it's early days in the movement, but I think the the move away from booze-focused evenings is is quite rapid. Um, We know that 30% of students aren't drinking, and actually I like to see our events focus on the food and then for the guests to take booze as and where appropriate. um, We've built in a messaging service to allow guests that are booked onto the same event to chat to each other beforehand so it sort of encourages people to perhaps say, well, I'll bring some Prosecco if somebody else would like to bring some white wine for the starter and this kind of thing. Our corporate events tend to have wine in the menu. They're pricier events, but the wine is normally picked by an expert and quite often there will be a wine specialist on hand to talk through those wine pairings. So that really is is wine as part of an education and those have been very very popular but i've found this year certainly that the beer pairings are every bit as popular as the wine pairings there's a real shift to pairing food and beer also so i think wine booze cocktails all really really interesting as part of the mix but i think the fundamental thing about we by so is it's a, a food a food platform and hosts and guests can use it as they wish. Uh, we try and give as much responsible um, advice as we can in terms of, of responsible hosting, re- responsible serving, but tend to point hosts towards their own local authority to get their own advice to make sure that whatever they're doing, whatever they're thinking about, whatever they're planning, fits within the, the, the framework of their local authority's advice. Really, really interesting. So let's take a step back to your history, if you don't mind. So no, not at all. There's you have to go a long way back. <laughs> there's a business, the Book People Limited, that yeah, and successfully exited. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that and your experiences of building the business, and then we can touch upon your experiences of building WeFiFo to date as well. That would be great. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go back a little bit further because, um, you know, everyone that builds a business, they, they all come from different backgrounds. Um, my own experience is I didn't go to university. I have worked solidly from the age of 17. You know, as a teenager, I had a huge variety of jobs. I did everything from working in Burger King to an admin role with the Indian Navy. 
And in fact, now every time I throw out another example of my incredibly eclectic early CV, uh, my kids find it completely hilarious. But actually, those different roles taught me a huge number of skills, and not least of all, they taught me resilience. And they also taught me the sense of pride and liberation that comes from being financially independent as a result of your own efforts. And that, that's something that's, that has been an important part of my life from, as I say, from a, from a teenager. I went to the USA. I started my first business there and okay, with a very small baby. So I was a single mum at a very young age. And I actually joined Ted Smart at the Book People at the age of 21. And we built that business to its market dominant position in the UK to the point we were selling over a hundred million pounds worth of books a year over the course of the next. Well, I, I was involved in the business for 27 years. The book people was an extraordinary business. Uh, I think now I find myself talking often about disruption and the gig economy. And of course, both of those things were totally relevant to the book people back in back in the late 80s when we began um, but of course the language hadn't been invented then we changed the way books were sold in the UK forever and I'm immensely proud of everything we did there I loved every day except perhaps the last my very final year which was after exit I spent a year on the board as a non-exec and I think that's probably the only unhappy year of my working life. I'm definitely a roll up your sleeves, hands on type of person. And I found not being on the front line of the business incredibly frustrating. You know, didn't feel I was using my skills or experience in any way at all. So it was really during that year that I started thinking about We FIFO and what I would do next. And I actually launched We FIFO the day I came off the book people board. Ah. So what was it in particular, if you don't mind me asking, about being a non-exec director? What was it that frustrated you? I'm always, always interested in talking to people about their own experience of this. Um, but I have very rarely, I'm not sure I've ever met anyone that has enjoyed the experience of being hands-on, completely involved, having a, a full-on executive role and then switching to an advisory capacity. I, you, you like to think your advice is invaluable and that no one would know that business better than you, but actually a new team, they don't really want the old team's advice. But they don't. They want to do things their way. And I think you're often just a reminder of the past maybe and it's actually best I would advise everyone um, I'm sure I'm sure there are many many examples of successful transition in that way but I would personally would advise everyone to make an exit mean exit and uh, when they leave their business leave their business because um, watching things well I think I think particularly watching mistakes being made that you have made in the past uh, for, a, for a business owner or a business leader is one of the most irritating things and no one wants to no one wants to sit on their hands when they think they can help and I, I got absolutely no pleasure from that year at all. Coming to, back to WeFIFO then how did you come about the idea of building up WeFIFO in the first place and then um, the, the building of the 
the platform. I knew I wanted to do more. I knew I wanted to do the next thing. I have always been very purpose-driven. And at the Book People, my passion was making sure that books were accessible and affordable to as wide an audience as possible. And I think um, I actually continue to be really evangelical about that. But food, of course, is equally important and should also be accessible and affordable. And, and some of the same elitism I encountered in the book world also exists in, around food. I mean, if you think about it, it's um, ludicrous because we all have to eat and it should be a pleasure. I'd also I'd, I'd started meeting both professionally and through friends and family, etc. I'd started to meet so many talented home cooks. I felt that my next thing would be to give them a stage and an audience. I started thinking about We Five Fo from that basis. And the more I thought about it, the more compelling those reasons became. And I, I think I might have first come to the business from the perspective of solving problems for talented cooks, but actually the biggest social, the, the sort of societal problem we solve is, is that too many people are eating in isolation. And that became a big driver for me also. So yeah, it became irresistible. I, I couldn't not start We Fife. And in terms of the building of the platform, did you source a particular partner or did through your network have the skills? I, um, I, did the, uh, I did the circuit quite early on. I met an, a huge number of digital agencies, some very, very talented people in very big agencies. I think they were more geared to people that had been funded and were helping them spend the money. Um, and I had a very clear vision for what I wanted to do, for what I wanted to build and deliver. So actually, I ended up going to a trusted developer, small team that I knew that I'd worked with before, and I've never had any regrets. You know, they've been absolutely brilliant, and I've been really proud to work with them, actually. They did a great job. They delivered the site on time. I was never that interested in building an MVP. I wanted to build a fully functional platform i wanted a platform that users could use in earnest because i didn't really think i could test my concept concept without giving them a very rich experience and that meant sort of gathering the food allergies it meant keeping everyone safe it meant providing some education it meant uh, making sure that the the ux was good from from both the host and the guest standpoint and so i ended up building a, a very high functioning feature rich uh, website and launch with that. Great, thank you. You mentioned allergies and sort of profiles of the individuals that you're hosting and yeah. sure that everyone's health and well-being is catered for. Everyone wants everything to be quick and easy when they're booking, they want light touch, they want one click but actually I think gathering that sort of information once really safely, really securely and making sure it's shared very responsibly with the hosts that are cooking meals is an investment in time guests are very very happy to make um, more and more people are intolerant it, it's you know some are, are life-threatening allergies some are food tolerances but you've also got people with likes and dislikes and i think uh, where you're talking about experiential dining uh, to be able to go and sit at a table and join other people and make what you can't eat, not the biggest thing of, of conversation around the table, but just to have your food brought to you is um, really liberating for those people that suffer from allergies and intolerances. The other side of that equation, of course, is the chefs. 
and a chef's costs and own profit margin. And if you can take some of the, the guesswork out, who's going to be walking through the door, who's going to be vegetarian, who's going to be vegan, who's going to have an intolerance or, or an allergy, then of course they're only cooking for the guests that have booked on, which completely um, mitigates the risk, reduces their cost, means they can probably spend a bit more on the, on the quality ingredients that they really want to use to provide the best meal they can, and the zero food wastage, which is a, a very hot subject in its own right. We're doing our, our bit to solve that problem also. Very interesting indeed. I'm very focused on that. It's, it's something that needs to be addressed a lot more and being able to, to reduce the amount of food waste. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. The, I'm sure you will have come across the, you know, the massive upset from the restaurant business about no-shows. I, I think the current statistic over Christmas was one in four London restaurants was a no-show, one in five outside of London. I mean, it's a shocking number of people booking a reservation and not turning up. And frequently people will be booking two or three and choosing what they want on the night. Well, of course, a restaurant trying to cater for those people, buying food, hiring staff, it becomes harder and harder to, to make the economics work. No one actually likes giving their credit card details on a restaurant reservation and paying in advance. But it's probably going to have to happen more and more because the, the numbers don't add up. You, you can't expect to have the meal of your dreams and not commit to it if you're expecting a chef or a restaurateur to commit to the ingredients up front. So our platform, we're, we're sort of encouraging people to think of it much more like uh, buying a theatre ticket. You're buying the whole experience, you're paying for it up front, and you keep your commitment because you paid for it, uh, which benefits both the host for the reasons I've mentioned, but actually the, the added benefit to the guests which I, I hadn't anticipated, but I've really watched um, closely and enjoyed watching, is that the experience of the meal is very different if your last memory of the meal is not paying for it. You go along, you have your meal, you enjoy it, you're chatting to people, and when you're ready to go, you, you go. You're not waiting to catch a waiter's eye to pay for the bill. You don't have that awkward moment of who's paying for the service charge. It's all done in, in advance. And actually, that's a much nicer way to finish a meal. Definitely. A lot more smart. Uh, yeah, that, that's definitely an added, added advantage that I hadn't necessarily anticipated. But um, I certainly appreciate it as a guest when I go along to, um, to WeFIFO events. It, it makes a huge difference psychologically. So they're currently, currently going on. What's the size of your community at the moment in terms of what you would call the novice uh, home chefs? We, we um, picked over 500 um, active hosts in the home community. We have a much larger pipeline. We've got thousands of people that have signed up saying they want to be hosts. I think as they see more things popping up in their area or they take the plunge or they go and eat at um, another event, you'll see a lot of those uh, coming online with events. So that's very exciting for us. Some of our corporate partnerships offer our more established hosts an opportunity to cook for a larger audience, cook in a professional kitchen um, and increase their own reach and, and promote their brand. So those sort of partnerships have, have been really interesting for the host development. And that's really what we're trying to do. You know, when we first started talking, we were talking about um, we as Airbnb. But in, in many respects, we're, we're also a sort of Etsy 
approach because we're really, really interested in promoting those individual brands and helping them grow uh, their own reputation in their in their local area so that they've got a viable business if that is their motivation and so what's your ambition then looking across the next 12 months what is your ambition your focus in terms of numbers um, i want to feed a hundred thousand new people um, that's that's a target we've set ourselves we want to get ourselves established in 180 different supper clubs um, a month across the Waitrose and John Lewis partnership, but I really want to um, help some of those individual hosts meet their own milestones, and that can be different from one host to another. Some people are in this because they want to change their community, build their community, and help people who are eating in isolation meet other people. Um, other people come to it because they're interested in cross-generational eating and experience and i think that's something you'll hear about a lot over the next few years uh, the fact that we've fractured our society to the point where we stick with our people very similar to ourselves and this kind of thing is great for breaking down those barriers there is no better way to meet people that aren't like you than to sit and share food with people because then you realize actually we've all got so much in common um, and, and one of those challenges is the cross-generational piece and I think watching people from all age groups coming around a table to eat together and, and share an occasion it's something you would see in other countries across the world very very naturally uh, but it is something we've lost and um, uh, a number of our hosts are really interested in that area and so for them that would be a milestone uh, for others it is running a successful business launching a food brand building up them their own market in their network and for some it might be taking the next stage you know they might already be very successful professionally trained chefs but they might be looking for a book deal or the next big thing that's going to take them on their own personal journey so i think we fifo can be there hand-holding, nurturing, supporting, encouraging all of those individual journeys as well. And it, it is definitely the piece of the business uh, that excites me the most. Brilliant. So when will be the first wedding that you go to that's influenced by We Fo? Um, I, I will definitely let you know. I would, <laughs> I'd be amazed. I'd be amazed if next time we speak, we are talking about exactly that. We've seen so many friendships made. We actually want to stay actively stay away from the dating piece um but uh, for all sorts of reasons i think it's actually very liberating to go along as a single person to a sharing table and to meet people with no expectation of dating whatsoever it just takes a huge amount of stress out of the whole thing but already over 30 percent of our diners are booking solo seats so they're finding WeFiFo, they're going along, they're meeting people, uh, no pressure, no expectation, none of that stigma associated with some of the, some of the other dating approaches. So um, I'd be absolutely amazed if we don't have, um, you know, plenty of lives changed and relationships formed and, you know, who knows, wedding bells by the time we next speak. Yes, forgive me. It's obviously from a networking standpoint, building out your community, uh, accessing knowledge from other individuals from different demographics. That's so, so exciting. And we, we've got so much more uh, coming on stream on the website. We've got so many more events that 
include education. We've got plenty of events with authors talking, so sort of books and cooks. We've got plenty of events where uh, the chef is teaching people a skill first. We've got pasta making classes, and then everyone's sitting down to, to share a meal together. Um, and then we've got good old-fashioned networking, which is so much better and so much more natural um, done when you give it the leisure that eating a three-course meal deserves because you get a chance to have meaningful conversations, find, find those like-minded people, have conversations about the things that are important to you both without the, the, the enforced pressure that comes from, a, from an arena that is specifically about networking. It achieves exactly the same effect, but you know, if you're getting a good meal at the same time, then I would heartily recommend it. You have the platform running. You've got some money that, that will be invested in further growth and marketing and onboarding, yeah. building out that community. What sort of lessons have you learned that you can share with the listeners? I mean, obviously, just get your head down and work hard. Work harder than the next person. I don't know any shortcuts. I don't know any shortcuts. Do ask for lots of advice, but don't feel beholden to take it all. Take, <laughs> take your own counsel follow your instinct and, and, and heart because it's your instinct that built the platform or built the business in the first place. And, and nine times out of 10, you are going to have the best feel for what is right to your business. I've met so many incredibly helpful people along the way and people have given me great ideas. And actually, I've, I've made some really, really great friends through, through this business already that I consider good friends. But you'll have to pick and choose your way through the advice you're given, uh, particularly in actually in a professional environment, because there will be a lot of people advising you in terms of what's best for their business. So you have to be able to pick and choose and make sure that you're very, very firmly focused on, on what is best for yours. Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting dynamic, actually, where you're getting advice that is actually steering you to spend more money with that individual or company. Because they've got their own business to that's exactly what they should be doing for their own business but you, you you can't blame anyone for doing that anyone would do exactly the same in the position but you have to be able to pick and choose your way through the advice and and make sure that you're you're doing uh, particularly i think at startup stage you know money is usually tight most people are bootstrapping if you haven't gone through that period of hardship then you've actually missed a very valuable piece of your growth because it's sort of what makes you focus on the detail. It keeps you very focused on what works and what doesn't. I, I don't think a huge amount of flab at the beginning of a business is terribly helpful to the business you end up growing. Um, you really want to feel like you understand every single piece of that business. No one wants that hardship piece to last forever. Um, obviously you don't. You want to find a way out of it, but Sometimes doing everything for yourself and working your backside off is the best way. So um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that you talk to that have some absolute golden rules for shortcuts. I don't know any. I know that you just work harder than the next person. And you mentioned you learn through doing, uh, building a career that way. Of course. And yeah, you learn from doing, you learn from making mistakes. Um, we all make mistakes. I don't, I, you know, I don't know anyone that hasn't, but I think 
the business leader picks themselves up pretty quickly and actually forgets the mistakes pretty quickly. You sort of learn from them, you move on, you do the next thing, you don't um, you don't lose too much sleep over them. There isn't you know there isn't time. What you've got to be able to do is respond and and move on quickly because actually a lot of what carries a business in its early stages is your attitude, it is your enthusiasm and your belief. Um, you don't want to be weighed down with worry. You want to be moving forward to tomorrow always, and that never stops. And is there any information that you have read or that you listened to or seen uh, that you could recommend to the listeners that's helped you on your journey? I'm the worst, although I'm an avid reader, I'm a book person, um, I'm the worst person to ask about read advice because I don't read any non-fiction. I only read fiction. Uh, you have to ask other people for those, uh, for those books. It's never something I turn to. I talk to people I admire and respect. I talk to people from every different background and, and walk of life, successful people being successful in whatever field they've chosen. Most of the same rules apply uh, across all the different fields. And I think um, actually talking to people and sharing experiences is the, the way I glean most of my knowledge. And it's something I very much enjoy doing as well. So I tend to combine those two things. And that really works well with my next question for you around getting headspace away from working so hard, working harder than the next yeah. person. Yeah. So what do you do in particular in addition to the reading? I write. I think, um, you know, running a business is really creative. It, it, it is incredibly creative. You are literally creating something out of nothing. And, um, but it is teamwork. You very rarely achieve anything much on your own. It's collaborative. You need a big team. You support each other. You take guidance from each other and you, you build something together. However small that team is, it is a collaboration. And I'm very, very fortunate that I have a fantastic team at WeFICO and I, I value them hugely. So my headspace, my, the stuff I do on my own is um, I'm also a writer. And that is the opposite. There is no collaboration um, up until the time of being published. Uh, uh, when you're sitting down and writing, it's just you and your head. The other thing I do is I walk. One hobby feeds the other. So um, I'm a walker. If I have time for it, I'm a trekker. Um, if I have even more time, I'm a climber. But essentially, I'm essentially I'm a, a, a solo walker, and that's where um, that's where I think about my ideas uh, for the business. It's where I think about what's the next best thing to do for the business. But it might also be where I'm plotting uh, a novel. Nothing better to do that on foot. No, absolutely. It's the right pace for all of those things. Mm. And taking the scenery, fresh air and so on. That's why, I've moved, that's why I've moved to Brompton, North Devon. Well, it's, um, it, there's absolutely nothing like it. Um, all weather, uh, getting out into the fresh air and um, looking up instead of looking down. We spend a lot of our time looking at our screens and looking at our, you know, reading paperwork or whatever that be actually standing tall uh, while you're walking is really really good for your mental health as well as your physical health so again anything that can be combined time-wise is great and um, a, a daily a daily walk is my fix for all of those things so time has flown there's a particular question that i'm going to ask now and i ask every entrepreneur what would you do differently knowing what you know now 
Um, there's very little I would change. In all honesty, there is very little I'd change in the overall plan. I, I have made mistakes. I would love to go back and correct them, but in the scheme of things, they are small. And I think if you look at them as part of learning rather than mistakes, it, it's a, a, a little more positive spin. Most mistakes are made around people and choices and, and commitments you make that don't work out quite to expectation, but they're all part of the, the rich tapestry of particularly the startup years. And I think what has happened is that the, the team I have um, that we're moving onwards into this year with, we've all been through that stuff together and we've all learned from those mistakes together. And it does mean that we're, um, we're very close knit. We understand each other as a unit now and I think um, it makes us much much stronger as we go forward so no massive regrets you know I might live to make some of those yet um, but so far no massive regrets I'm loving every day. That's great to hear that's great to hear so for the benefit of the listeners then who are interested in becoming uh, a WeFIFO member chef uh, want to sample some food uh, through your uh, community and platform uh, where yeah. can they find you? wefifo.com join the platform if you can't find an event near you tell the best cook you know and make sure they're cooking um, and giving them an opportunity to um, to share their skill you know the, the network is growing rapidly there is more and more across the country uh, for you to find um, but as I say if you can't find something just recommend a friend so Simi thank you so much for your time thank you for, for your insights uh, the, the knowledge you shared with us and uh, I wish you and WeFIFO every continued success and look forward to coming Thank you very much. Back. You're welcome. And looking forward to coming back next year uh, to see how you're progressing. And, yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm really glad I've put, some, I've put some numbers against it now so you can, come and, um, you can come and check on progress in 12 months' time. You have some accountability. <laughs> I do indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll look forward to our next talk very much. Great. Thank you, Sini. And catch up soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So what do you think? We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H. Easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe. And until next week, cheers. <laughs>